Our second reading is the rest of the story, verses 17 through 44. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that, that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead men came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock, our redeemer, our resurrector, and our hope. Amen. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of John, learning about Jesus' teaching and his action in the world, I have mentioned before that there are famously seven signs, 
Seven signs that help reveal who Jesus is and what his action is in the world. Signs that point to what God is doing in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the seventh and final, and in my opinion, the most important sign that Jesus does. This is the story of the rising of Lazarus from the dead. It's only found in the Gospel of John, and in it we get a foretaste of who Jesus is and how Jesus will not only change the course of humanity and every person in the world, but each individual person intimately, carefully. It is a prophetic act that is pointing us to Jesus' response to death in the world. The prophetic act lets us know that this isn't just a story about a man named Lazarus. It's not a story just about a couple of women named Martha and Mary, but it's pointing to something so much bigger. It's a sign pointing to the death of all humanity and Christ's saving resurrection power. It is a sign and the signal of the relationship between Jesus and death and resurrection. I think there's one word that helps to illuminate this entire passage, all 44 verses. And it comes from verse 33, when Jesus witnesses Mary and the other Jews weeping. It says, he is ene breme sato. Practice saying that in the mirror. Which the, that's the Greek word, and it's translated in here as Jesus was deeply moved. Deeply moved. It's a, nice, it's a nice picture. It creates a sentimental view of Jesus, doesn't it? Just as we are deeply moved when we hear a beautiful piece of music or deeply moved when we hear the laughter of a child or we're deeply moved when we watch a sad movie or deeply moved when we see a Sarah McLaughlin pet adoption commercial. And we're deeply moved But the word actually is not sentimental at all. The word denotes an anger. When it's used in other Greek stories, it's used to describe a horse's angry snort. The lexical gloss means someone who is moved by anger or someone who admonishes sternly. Jesus' response to death is one of anger. That shocks us in the story. And then again, it's used in verse 38 when Jesus comes to the tomb. As Jesus stands at the threshold of death, he is moved to anger, to derision. John saves this word. It's the only time he uses it. He uses it twice in the entire book. And it's Jesus' response to death. John saves this word to shock us, to move us, to force us to take notice. It reminds me of my my father-in-law, Andy, who is an incredibly patient, kind man. Perhaps no better exemplified than when he sat through a sputtering, nervous, inarticulate conversation with a 22-year-old boy asking for his daughter's hand in marriage. But my wife, Allie, tells me uh, an even better story about who he is. Allie grew up, and she can only remember her father yelling at her one time. 
And I'm sure Allie was an angel child, but she probably merited being yelled at more than once. But the one time Allie was yelled at, it was because her older sister, who has diabetes and autism, began to go into a diabetic seizure. And Andy was attempting to hold Allie's older sister still while administering the glucose shot. And Allie, who is usually such a helper, was so terrified by the terror scene that she froze. She couldn't move. She couldn't help. And as her father struggled with her older sister, her father yelled at Allie, yelled at her to come and to help and to be yelled at in a voice that she hadn't heard before, in a situation that was full of terror. It shocks Allie into helping, and she helped hold her sister while her father administered the life-saving shot. This is what we experience with this word. It's, it, it shocks us out of our uh, merely standing on the side and watching. Jesus is one we know who is of love, who's of teaching, who's of compassionate care. But then we have these glimpses throughout the gospel where he's moved by righteous anger and it startles us and forces us to pay attention. Again, this word is only used twice. And it's in the span of five verses, always referring to death. Death which exists in the world is a terror. Even what we might consider a good death is one that fills us with grief and loss. And this is appropriate. It's the severing of a relationship. The removal of life is something that moves Jesus to anger and indignation. He weeps, he cries, he's angered, he's troubled, he's stirred, he's deeply moved. Death is not God's desire for humanity. Jewish thought at this time acknowledged that they thought death was evil. It was of evil. And so we get this incredible foreshadow in this story of Jesus' future victory over evil. Jesus' future victory over death. When Jesus raises Lazarus to life, Jesus signals what he will gift all humanity that in his own death and resurrection, Jesus offers us resurrection every day. New life to redeem us from the powers of death which seek to hold us every day. I know that throughout our lives we will experience death. We will be threatened with death, both physical and spiritual. That there will be moments when it seems that death has overcome us. That it's the ultimate statement, the final period. A road of death may surface in our life in many different ways through the disease of addiction or a fractured familial relationship or despair or financial insecurity or loveless relationships or maybe even just busyness. And that is leading us down a road of death, a lack of compassion for people in our lives the death of being part of institutions that cause hurt to people. These roads of death seek to penetrate our souls, and we think there's no way new life can come from this. There's no way resurrection can come. There's no way hope can be born out of this situation. Every character in this story 
the original listeners, the ones who are part of it, would have a similar assuredness that new life was not possible for Lazarus. The text says twice that Jesus arrived four days after Lazarus died. And the reason that's important is because the Jewish people believe the spirit departed the body after three. There was nothing left to bring back. Lazarus was gone. But Jesus shatters these expectations. He brings about new life in a completely hopeless situation. From the pits of utter hopelessness, Jesus Christ brings life. Church, Jesus can bring life anywhere, even if it's not on the timeline we'd like it to be. No matter how separated we feel from God, whether that separation is just from apathy or a conscience desire and running from the presence of God, Jesus reaches into the depths of despair, the pits of darkness, the furthest reaches of hell, the furthest reaches of the hells we place ourselves in and brings us out to new life, to new hope, and to resurrection. Jesus demonstrates no matter how hopeless that death does not have the final word. But Jesus also offers one imperative to the community in this story. As Lazarus comes out the tomb after Jesus has done the work of resurrection, as Jesus has done the work of bringing Lazarus to new life, Jesus calls on the community to unbind Lazarus, to let him go. Friends, I think we know that even when we've been raised to new life, even when we've experienced the saving grace and the love of Jesus Christ, sometimes the rags of the past bind us. Sometimes we hold on to the garments of death because we're afraid of who we are without them. But Jesus calls on the community to participate in resurrection, to offer forgiveness and care of justice, to help the broken. Because here's the truth, is that we have all faced death and sin. And we've all been called to new life in Jesus Christ. And we all need a community to remind us to stop letting the cloth of death hold us in the grave. That we have already been made anew by Jesus Christ. That we have been called to a new life. As we enter into this first Sunday of Lent, this journey of Lent, we remember that there is death and injustice and pain in the world. And we join Jesus in weeping. But we don't end there just as Jesus didn't as well. We look to the hope of Easter Sunday, the morning of resurrection, because it's in the empty grave that we know that death doesn't have the last word, but that Jesus' Christ over death, his victory over death, is the final exclamation point. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.